Thanks so much for joining us for the New Life Brisbane podcast. New Life Church is one family, many churches, and we exist to simply see more people more like Jesus by planning and leading thriving local churches. You've joined us for Dinner with Jesus, a series exploring transformative mealtime encounters found in the Gospels. Together, we will discover the depths of these moments, revealing Jesus' mission of redemption through love and grace. We pray this message is a blessing. Good afternoon, New Life Brisbane. You know, every time I've preached here, I've started by saying good morning and realized that that's not what it is here. But that's what it was this morning when I started preaching at Koolingatta. But uh, I'm really excited to be here this morning. And before I even jump into my... This, I, I said it, it was going to happen. Uh, <laughs> but one thing I wanted to get a uh, touch on before I even started preaching is just the celebration of the type of church we're in. Uh, James mentioned it before, but we're in a church that has a vision that we would see more people, more like Jesus, by planting and leading local thriving churches. Churches and, and, the, and the vision we have, one way we intend to do this, is that we would, by 2025, be leading a movement of renewal in and through the Uniting Church. So what's happening right now where a, a delegation of pastors and leaders from New Life has head up to Synod, which is the leadership of this denomination for Queensland, and, and they're weighing in on some of the big deci- decisions being made. That's not a small thing. Because our vision is that we would see the uniting church thrive once again in the way it yearns to, because it recognizes the need, and in the way we believe God still has in store for it. So I just want to make an ask for this church. We're there till uh, Tuesday. I've been told maybe not the whole day Tuesday, but why not? I think you, I believe you can pray backwards, you know, pray on Tuesday for Monday. Um, but what I want to invite you to do is carve out some time. Take some space today before you go to bed and over the next few days to be praying for our leaders. And my prayer, my hope, will be that our leaders could be a blessing to the Uniting Church. And the Uniting Church might come to know new life, not as a threat or an enemy, but as a friend. Someone who's come to stand on the Word of God and in Jesus' way, proclaim what we believe to be true, but at the same time, bless and build up and build relationships. So I just want to invite you to be praying for that. And... That would be a blessing. Uh, But why don't we get into it? uh, If you have your Bibles, I'm going to invite you just to open them up from the offset. Uh, Matthew chapter 9, verse 9. And whilst you turn there, if you haven't met me before, as wonderfully introduced by James before, uh, my name is David Skembry. I get the joy of being one of the pastors down at New Life Gadda, and I get the joy of calling New Life my, uh, my home church. And it doesn't matter which location I'm in, I just find it to be such a beautiful expression of Christian community. So, so glad to be here. And today we are starting a new four-week series called Dinners with Jesus. And if you've ever read the Gospels, one thing you will have noticed is that so many memorable and meaningful moments were moments shared over a meal. And so we're just going to take about a month or so, and we're going to uncover four of these encounters and discover what time spent beside Jesus has the power to do. And just a pro tip on the house, throwing it out for free. If you want to get as much as you can out of this series, each week it's up to the, part, the preacher to choose which meal they want to preach on. So if you jump onto our podcast app and, and you go and find the other locations, you might be able to get you know seven or eight weeks of content out from different stories and different dinners that took place in the scriptures. That one's for free. You are welcome. Hey, verse nine, it says this. As Jesus went on from there, he saw a man named Matthew, and he was sitting at the tax collector's booth. Follow me, he told him. And Matthew got up and followed him. 
While Jesus was having dinner at Matthew's house, many tax collectors and sinners came and ate with him and his disciples. And when the Pharisees saw this, they asked his disciples, why does your teacher eat with tax collectors and sinners? On hearing this, Jesus said, it is not the healthy who need a doctor, but the sick. But go and learn what this means. I desire mercy and not sacrifice, for I have not come to call the righteous but the sinners. Hallelujah that that is true. Would you join with me in prayer? Almighty God, I thank you that you're a God who hasn't come looking for perfect people who can come before you and prove why they have a right to be before you, but you've come for the rest of us. And you come delighting in the fact that we're here and we're saying, Jesus, come. And we praise you, Lord, that you are present in this place, that your spirit has a purpose to do wonderful things here tonight. We know that not because we're, uh, you, you know, some sort of hyper charismatic or whatnot, but because we believe the Bible. And we know that you've made promises to be present where two or three or more are gathered in your name. And so we believe that you are here today, uh, this afternoon, and you are going to do great things. I pray this, Lord, anything that's not of you, let it go. Let it be forgotten. And those gems, those wisdom parts of your scripture that you want revealed and understood by your people, I just pray, Lord, would you make those memorable and deep and impactful by the power of your spirit? Jesus, in your perfect name we pray, amen, amen. Hey, anyone in the room, and I already know that James does, anyone in the room like icebreakers? We got any icebreaker lovers in the room? Come on, me too. I am a massive icebreaker lover. I'll tell you why. I am deeply awkward. It's probably my third biggest flaw. And so icebreakers really, really help to cover that up, and people don't know. A few years ago, we were sitting with some young ads down at Cool and Gatter, and we were playing what was, it called itself a board game, but it was essentially just a box of icebreakers, uh, and you just worked your way through them and got points somehow, and we were just working our way through them, and, and, and I got one, and, and the icebreaker read like this, if you could have dinner with anyone who's alive today, who would it be and Why? And it led to some absolutely great conversation. And I thought, well, here we are. This is my moment. We're starting a new series all about dinners. I would love to know what you guys think. So why don't you take a few seconds, turn to someone close by, and share if you could have dinner with anyone who is alive today, who would it be and why? Go ahead and do that now. Hey, awesome, that's about, I reckon that was a generous portion of time. Bring it back in. Alrighty, alrighty, wow, you guys are not well behaved. Whew. I'm not comparing churches, but heek. Hey, I asked this morning if anyone said me, you know, it's my home church and not even my wife, but the name, her hand up, so I'm not gonna ask that here. But um, here's what we're gonna do, we're gonna make it a bit interactive. I wanna see some hands in the air. Did anyone in the room choose a leader of nations, a leader of companies, or a leader of people? Yeah, a couple of hands, come on. Uh, anyone choose an activist, someone who brings a voice for the marginalized or the needy? Any people who, who said they would see someone like that? Not, not as many, okay. Anyone choose an author or a philosopher or a thought leader? Yep, cool, a couple of hands. All right, I'm not gonna judge you for this, but did anyone choose a celebrity? 
Yeah, yeah, that's, that was, uh, it was pretty similar. Come on. I don't know if it's true for you, but even if it was a celebrity, I know it's true for me. I'm drawn to the person who has a little of something that I want to catch. We all know that, and, and it's a weird, weird blessing that everyone here knows, is that over food, during that slow, relaxed, intimate, and unguarded space, we can catch a little bit of something, not COVID. I mean, a little echo of the character, the talent, or the passion of a person. And my question is, it, my question is if the person you said before is alive, and they're kicking on the same earth that you're kicking on, why haven't you booked a dinner with them yet? Like, these are your number one people. Why haven't you done it? And the quiet murmur, I presume, says, because at least for 90% of us who hasn't had the pleasure of meeting the people we want to have dinner with, uh, it's because we haven't yet been invited, right? And I think this is what the scripture we read today actually begins to address. Not about Brad Pitt, but um, actually, that's not my answer, just so you know. That's going to be crazy. Maybe. Um, but rather, my, my answer, no, not my answer, but rather, I see in the scripture what, what it causes to is a redress to the idea that we can't have dinner or more aptly spend intentional time with the greatest person who ever lived because we're waiting for an invite. Because we're waiting for an invite. And so before we can begin to spend four weeks talking about the things Jesus did over dinner, I want us to ask the question, a simple question, and it's this. Do we in this room believe, and I mean really, really believe, that if Jesus was here today inviting people over for dinner, he would invite you? Do you believe in your heart of hearts that Jesus invites you to the table? And my hope for today is that we might get hungry, excuse the pun, to make space for Jesus in our lives, removing that, you know, I wrote a joke in my sermon, and every time I do it, I say it so dryly, because anyway, um, in our lives, removing the things holding us back, and, 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 the and my hope is that by the end of this time, we could actually get excited, excited that something of time spent with Jesus is a powerful, miraculous, and beautiful gift to our lives. That's my hope. Now, we all Christians in the room, I think we both mostly think we know the right answers, but I, I would hope today that we can challenge some of the, not mental assumptions, but heart assumptions that we wrestle with. So let's dive in. Verse 9, it says, as Jesus went on from there, he saw a man named Matthew, and Matthew was sitting at the tax collector's booth. Follow me, he told him, and Matthew got up and followed him. While Jesus was having dinner at Matthew's house, let me pause there, right? Jesus makes a new friend. This guy's friend is Matthew. Matty goes ahead and invites Jesus to come over to his house, right? And so, you know, here's what happens in this story, right? Jesus' new bud, Matthew, says, come on over. And Jesus doesn't go, I'm a bit busy saving the world, sorry. He carves out time in his calendar. He makes it a priority to go ahead and spend time at Matthew's house, and what's crazy is it's not just like dinner. It's not like what I would make, which would probably be Nando's that I bought and then put in a plate. It, it, it was a feast. The Gospel of Luke describes it as a great banquet. And Matthew invites Jesus to his house, and Jesus comes. And not only, it says, does Jesus come, but if we keep reading, it says, many tax collectors and sinners came and ate with him and his disciples. Jesus made space. He made it a priority to meet people over that ancient tradition of eating together. Who knows food is sacred? Are there any food lovers in the house? Man, I've got to say, this was a big responsive question in Cooley. I think everyone there loves food, perhaps too much. I, I know I do, that's for sure. I, I was listening to a sermon of Matt Chandler's lately, 
And he describes the importance of dinners this way. He says this, dining in a first century context, it isn't the way we dine today. It's slow. It starts early. It goes late. And it's a sign of intimacy and friendship. And this is why the religious of his day accused Jesus of eating with tax collectors and sinners, because dining with someone meant something. Friends, do you know today that dining with someone means something? Dining with someone means something. In fact, if we trace dining back through the Old Testament, we find food plays a significant part in the relationship between God and his people the whole way through. There is this remarkable scene in uh, Exodus chapter 24 where all of the elders come together and the leaders of, of the nation of Israel, they come together and it says the visible presence of God stood before them. And they're standing there looking at God and what do they do? It says they ate and they drank together. Wow. And then we look to the, the Jewish calendar. We look to the many feasts, the many, many feasts set apart throughout the Jewish calendar that, that exist, like the Passover, to celebrate, to remember the faithfulness and the deliverance of God to his people. And so it, it, dining was a vital part of what it means to be in relationship with God. So no wonder it became a vital part of how people did relationship with one another. Eating together is never and was never just grabbing a bite of food to satisfy some afternoon grumbles after a day in the farm. Dining with someone meant something, friends. Eating together was a statement of acceptance, of commonality, of celebration, and of friendship. So this is a big deal. Who Jesus feasts with is loaded. And I mean, imagine the gospels happening today, right? Here's the thing. Imagine them happening today, and Jesus is rolling around in his holy Corolla, which is God's car. It's also mine, but that's a coincidence. And he was looking to eat with people today, and he comes along. Uh, do you believe for a second that Jesus is coming to your neighborhood? This was really easy in Cooley because I know the names of the neighborhoods, and I've just realized that all I know is Brisbane. But do you believe that he would be coming into Brisbane? Do you believe he'll be coming into your workplaces? Do you believe that he will come into your houses? Do you believe he would come to your tables? And all you beautiful people here that spend any time in kids' church forward slash Sunday school, or anyone who's decided to lean in and pay attention for a couple of services at church, know that the right answer is yes, of course Jesus will come and dine at our tables. That's who he is. And yet I have a feeling that in this room, and I'd say in any room filled with Christians, there are many people that are saying yes, but that yes is absolutely nothing more than a right answer. And you know, like I did Bible college. I don't know if you know anything about Bible college, but Bible college is the place where they teach you the right answers, right? If you want to know the, the, the gravity, the difficulty, the struggle, you want to know someone who's wrestled with a yes, a right answer on their lips, but dissonance to that in their hearts. Man, go meet someone who's been in Bible college, right? We get pumped with the yeses. We get pumped with the right answers. We can hold a conversation with pastors. We can look so flipping profound in front of the people asking the questions. We know it all, and then we go home, and we have a private walk with God to face. And we recognize we're facing all the same struggles everyone else is. Sitting down and reading the Bible is hard, except here's the thing. I know the standard, and I know where I'm finding myself. I know the right answer, and I know where I am. And what does, this lead to? what does this lead to? It leads to a sense of shame, a sense that our God in heaven is disappointed in us. 
That our God in heaven looks upon his people with a great sense of, of, of distance. And that makes reading our Bibles hard. That makes praying hard. That makes having any kind of deep or meaningful relationship with Jesus hard. Because when we look to him, we believe what we see as a father looking down on us with ever-growing, ever-deepening, never-ending disappointment and shame. And here's the thing. I can happily say that because here's what I've, I've known. Throughout my life of being a Christian, chatting to people vulnerably and openly for years now, that this isn't just a me thing. Anyone who's been a Christian honestly and integrously for a couple of years has wrestled with this disconnect, this dissonance between what they expected, what they're expected to believe, and what's really going on inside their hearts. And the Bible does such a great job of finding pain points like these and really speaking into them. And this is where we begin to understand why Matthew's story is so beautiful. Because in Matthew, we see the kind of person that Jesus delights to dine with. In Matthew, we see the kind of person that Jesus delights to dine with. And that's cool. Just see this, only a few moments before, Jesus invites Matthew to come close. And what was Matthew doing? He wasn't recording a TikTok of him feeding the homeless. You're seeing those videos? He wasn't recording some TikTok of him helping, uh, you, you know, bringing hope to hurting people or anything crazy like those, right? What was, G- what was Matthew doing? He was in the depths of his tax collecting. A profession, which I just need to make this clear, a profession which is over and over and over again lumped in with another word, sinners. You imagine if your profession was perpetually lumped in with the word sinners when you read the Bible? Yeah, doctors and sinners, am I right? You know, like you'd be feeling pretty bad about yourself. So why? We see tax collecting was a profession that simultaneously supported a government that oppressed the Jewish people and was riddled with a deep, deep corruption at its core. It was a profession that a Jew only ever got into because they wanted to live Hellenistic, materialistic, affluent lives. In other words, it's this. If a Jew became a tax collector, here's the reason. They wanted money. They cared about money. That's it. And Jesus says to this guy, I want you. Come follow me. Come be close. Let's go on a journey. How cool. And the Bible doesn't stop at Matthew. It wants to really make its point. Because I, I don't know, maybe you're in the room and you go, yeah, but maybe Matthew was like a holy tax collector. You know, you're like, yeah, be the change you want to see in the world. So he became a tax collector. Maybe that's what's going through your brain. Easy peasy. There's not a lot said about him. It's not the way I think it angles it. But it doesn't give us any room to doubt. So it goes on. Say Matthew throws this party and his friends come and his friends are described as other tax collectors who, I just want to let you clear, would be corrupt and then more so sinners people known publicly for their sinfulness. So I just want you to switch on your spiritual imaginations or just your regular imaginations. I'm not really sure what a spiritual imagination is, but I heard it and thought it sounded cool. But I want you to imagine you're Jesus and your new buddy Matt has invited you over for dinner. And you knock on the door. He lets you in. You go ahead and sit at that table. You, your your 12 friends, you're sitting there chatting amongst each other and you're thinking, when will the rest of Matt's friends show up? A knock on the door. Matthew opens, in comes a tax collector. Now Jesus, knowing all things, knows this tax collector. And just this afternoon, he had just finished lying to a family, ripping off a family, an honest working farming family, taking away the money they needed to pay for food on their table this week, and he's just thinking about the cash he made. He comes and sits down, another knock on the door. Opens the door, a sex worker walks in. 
Someone who stands on the corner and tries to entrap people, tries to get people to come and lay with them. And, and there was this one person who always said no, but they could see they struggled. And she finally got the knot. She finally got him. And he's at home feeling shameful and guilty and like a failure. And she's telling her friends how much she won. She walks into the room. Knock on the door, another person comes into the room. This time, it's someone who organizes fights in gambling arenas for fighting. Then the next person who comes in is someone who is a loan shark and who is trapping people in poverty through exorbitant interest rates. The next person that comes on is someone who is a party animal, who's every night stumbling around, breaking hearts and leaving destruction. And people keep pouring in. The crowd gets thicker. The sins in the room grow heavier. These weren't hidden sins. The point of this story is that everybody knew that the people, that these people failed to live up to God's law. And so Jesus, not only aware of what everyone knew, but aware of the depth of what nobody knew, right? Aware of all the greed and all the suffering caused and all the people still bruised in the wake of these people's self-centeredness and sinful lifestyles. Jesus is not sitting there with his brows furrowed. That's not how he's doing it there. He's not there lauding his moral superiority. He's not there feeling icky or dirty and saying, get me out of this room as soon as possible. This is tarnishing my reputation. Plus, these people smell a little. What's Jesus doing? He ain't keeping them at arm's length. Let me tell you what he's doing. He's laughing because these people told a joke and he found it funny. He's eating food with these people. He's listening to their stories and the things they have to say. He's enjoying the company of these kinds of people. And this isn't just a one-off event for Jesus to tolerate. In fact, he gained a, rep a reputation because of the repetition in which these were the kinds of people that he hung with. If you go to Matthew chapter 11, verse 19, it describes him as having a reputation, right, for hanging with this, for being a friend to exactly this type of people, tax collectors and sinners, he was known for his friendship, his warmth, his association towards these people. He was a safe person, a friend even, that the lowest, most outcasted, most disreputable person would gravitate towards. Friends, do you hear it? The Bible is going to great lengths to make it clear that everyone, no matter their status, their holiness, their sinfulness, their successes or their failures, they are welcome to the feast with Jesus. Maybe you're thinking, yeah, but I, I don't live back then. You know, I, I live in a different world. I live in a different century. How can I believe that this would be true for me? That right now, that there is a Jesus delighting to dine, do life, laugh, and befriend you. And in the book of Revelation, Jesus is speaking through a prophetic vision to the church, uh, to, to Christians, and he goes on to describe the kinds of Christians these people were. Now, I really hope we never fall into these categories, but he describes them as, as uh, wretched, as pitiable, as lost in sin. He goes on to describe that kind of spirituality. He says, your spirituality is kind of blind. Your spirituality is kind of naked. Like, I hope we never get these terms to describe the kind of churches we become as new life, right? These are not compliments. But Jesus goes on to these people and says this, here I am. I stand at the door and knock. Friends, you hear that? He knocks. He does the knocking. To the most pitiable and wretched sinner, to the least spiritual and godly, Jesus is standing at the door. Jesus can stand, is standing at your door today, and he is knocking. And he goes on to say this, if anyone, friends, say anyone. Now say it like you, think, like you mean it, anyone, right? Anyone. If anyone hears my voice and opens the door, I will come in 
and eat with that person and they with me. There is no argument against. There is no anti-you clause hidden in the Bible somewhere. There is nothing you have done or are doing or could ever do to disqualify you from being wanted by Jesus. The scriptures are clear. You are welcome, my friends, here, as you are, where you are. No strings attached. Friends, let me say that again. No strings attached. No strings attached. This is the gospel, that our Jesus delights to dine with you. The scripture continues, it says, while Jesus was having dinner at Matthew's house, many tax collectors and sinners came and ate with him and his disciples. When the Pharisees saw this, they asked his disciples, why does your teacher eat with tax collectors and with sinners? Okay, so here's here's the story we've got so far. Jesus is invited to his new friend Matthew's house, right? And he comes to this house and he's surrounded by sinners and tax collectors. And the story goes on to say there's another group of people surrounding these people. And they're the people not known for their sin, but known for their righteousness, known for their goodness, known for their quality. The Pharisees. And these Pharisees are right there peering through the windows. It's a little creepy, right? In fact, some commentaries went so far as to say they were probably in the room hovering over the table. You ever met a hoverer? Like, it's weird and awkward, right? I'm so sorry if you're a hoverer. I don't mean that. Um, But here's the thing. Like, it's weird. And these Pharisees, they were kind of hovering around the windows, hovering around the table. They were right there in the room. But they refused to sit and join the feast. So close smelling the food, seeing the joy, hearing the laughter, talking even to the disciples, yet something kept them from joining the feast. And for those who don't know, the Pharisees had a real rigid sense of how everything was meant to look. The Pharisees had a real rigid sense, right? They, they, they had a, a perspective on the Old Testament that was largely shaped by other Pharisees' commentaries and, and cultural thinking around what a holy Jewish people should look like and what the Messiah should look like. And when things didn't fit into that perspective, here's what the, the, the Pharisees did. They chopped those things up and shoved them out of their view. And this is what they, not chopping them up, but this is what they wanted to do to any kind of sinful person. They would put them out of the city, cast them as far as they could. They wanted Clean and holy cities. No sinners welcome here, thank you. Anything that didn't make sense in their worldview. And here they are, standing outside a window, looking at Jesus, doing confusing things to them, doing things that don't fit into the worldview. So what do they do? They begin to ask questions. They begin trying to understand. They begin trying to make sense of it all. They come right to the table They come right to the table, but these points of confusion restrain them from sitting down. And they were so caught up in their skepticism, in their perfectionism, in their unmet expectations that they couldn't quite bring themselves to sit and to rest and to join into the feast. Friends, do you know that it is possible to be hovering over the table and not enjoying the feast? And friends, if you're in this room and you go, wow, this would be a great sermon, I'm thinking that, this would be a great sermon for my unchristian friend. I'm actually not preaching this message to to non-Christians. I hope it's a blessing. I hope it invites non-Christians to to receive the gospel and know the goodness of Jesus. But this is a sermon I wrote with Christians in mind. Because friends, so many of Christians sold, like going, going to heaven, spending eternity with Jesus, beautiful Christians, right? We sit in the room, we hover over the table, but we don't enjoy the feast. We don't yet know how to sit down and delight in Jesus. Here's the reality, and I don't know if you've ever noticed this, but the gospel, 
sometimes can be really hard to grasp. You ever read your Bible and been confused, right? The gospel can be hard, but it's not hard because it's complicated. It's hard because it's counterintuitive. It's counterintuitive. The good news that we are welcome to sit with a Jesus who likes us and loves us, that can be hard to grasp because it runs contrary to our intuitive expectations of how the world should work. So we go ahead, and this is what we do. We hang at the fringes, and we make a plan, and we say, I will hang here right on the outside of God's table. And once I get it all, when it all starts making sense, oh, I will take that seat gladly. And yet we'll never find in the fringes what we're looking for. We will never find our resolution hovering over the table. Friends, this is true. Here's how it actually works for the plethora, the two millennia of Christians that have, that have gone before us. They sat down. Questions in hand. They just sat down. It took courage and boldness, but they just sat down, and they experienced the goodness of time spent in the presence of Jesus. And here's what happened. Some of their questions got answered, and some of their questions didn't matter quite as much anymore. I remember when I became a Christian, I, I joined church, and I, I was um, really, I think, trying to find every reason to believe it, but my soul, my head, my heart just couldn't quite grapple, and there were so many questions I just kept bumping into. So I would go to these Christians who had been Christians for 20, 30, 40 years, and I'd say, here's my question, you know, vomit on them with this question. And then and they, would go, they would go, hey, that's a good question. I never did find an answer to that. And I'd be like, what? 40 years a Christian, you haven't walked away or quit, and you never found the answer to that question. Yeah, I guess, I guess not. I just really just got to know Jesus, and somehow I stopped thinking about it so much. It just didn't bother me as much as it once did. And isn't this true? Isn't this true? And sometimes we think something's really, really, really important, and then a split second later, we see something vastly more important, and it puts us in our place. And we just, it's not even in our brains anymore. And this is Jesus. We have all these things that are holding and restraining us and pulling us back and saying, no, 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 don't go to him. You can't go to him. Get this resolved. Get this resolved. And really, if we just sat with him and tasted the wonder and the goodness of who he is, those things wouldn't even come to mind because we would be too busy delighting in our Savior. That is true. And if you don't believe it, here's what I'd say. Go and chat to the Christians who have been Christians for 40, 50 years. Go and ask them about that. Because these are the stories of believers, not just today, but for 2,000 years of church life to now. So friends, hear me. The struggle to find our place at God's table, it is not this side of Jesus. It could never be a question of invitation. Friends, you're invited. You're wanted. And the Bible gives you no reason to believe otherwise. The real question is this. Will you take the seat he's holding for you? Will you take the seat he's holding for you? Will you sit down with God? Will you find your home in his presence even before you have an answer to every little doubt? Scripture wraps up by saying this. On hearing this, Jesus said, it is not the healthy who need a doctor, but the sick. So go and learn what this means. I desire mercy and not sacrifice. For I have not come to call the righteous, but sinners. And so we've got this story of, of Jesus hanging around with a bunch of people sinners and tax collectors, and it's really frustrating the Pharisees. 
And if we were really to consider who the tax collectors and the sinners are in our day and in our age, it'd be the kind of people that we would say, they are everything wrong with society. You know, just summarize it, put it in a box and say, man, if those people didn't exist, our lives would be so much better. And if we could begin to imagine the kinds of people that sums up for us, and I think it is different for each of us, but if we begin to sum up those people, Jesus is in that room laughing and enjoying the company with them. So I kind of get the Pharisees' frustration. I really do. I get it. Because here's the thing. Here's what the Pharisees are really asking. They're saying this, Jesus, how dare you call yourself, like, like Jesus, how dare you have the audacity to call yourself a teacher in the faith and legitimize the lifestyles of these people. You should be canceling them. You should be silencing them. You should be casting them out. How dare you legitimize them by spending time with them? How dare you? And this is the wrestle the Pharisees was going through. And this is where I think Jesus is so actually beautiful. Because while we're seeing shady and slimy and corrupt people, Jesus offers a resolution. Because here's the thing, this is the question of the story. How can Jesus be just and good and holy and hang with tax collectors and legitimize sinful and broken people? How can this both be true? How? And, and, and it offers a resolution here in this point. It says, friends, do you know that you're dealing with the God of the universe? He doesn't see things according to our limited scope. He doesn't see things in our order of priorities before he sees the sinful occupation, before he sees the corruption, before he sees your brokenness. Jesus sees the daughter. Jesus sees the son. Jesus sees the person he handcrafted in the image of God for love and to be loved. Jesus isn't consumed with categorizing, friends. He isn't in the label-making business. Jesus sees the soul. This is who we worship. This is why we can sit at peace with him. And this is why we have to resist the urge to try and get it all before we just sit with him. Because Jesus is seeing things and doing things that we could never conceive of. Friends, he loves and is just in ways we could never compare to. And we have the audacity to try and fit God into our moral perception, our perspectives of where the priorities of justice should lie. It's us with the audacity problem. And this is essentially a very long-winded way of saying what Jesus is saying in his reply to the Pharisees. They go, why would you be hanging with these people? Why are you legitimizing their existence? And to the people who know more of the scriptures than anyone else, Jesus says, hey, you should go and learn them a little bit better. Hey, you should go and study this verse. And then he likens himself to a doctor. It's a bit random. But what do we know about doctors? I'll tell you one thing doctors do really well a doctor knows where a human ends and their illness begins, right? Like, just practically speaking, a doctor understands where a human ends and their illness begins. And this is huge, right? Could you imagine walking into a, a doctor's surgery with a giant lump on your shoulder or something and you're like, you know, look at this lump on my shoulder, doctor. It's so bad, help. And he goes, mm-hmm, that lump looks so good on you. You rock that girl. You know, you imagine that for a minute? That's wild. You know, they don't want to offend them though. So, you know, they have to, you know, lump them in with their lump. And they go, imagine the craziness. If a doctor sees our sickness the way some of us, Pharisees included, see sin. You go to the doctor, you're holding your stomach in stomach pain. And they're like, cure it. You ain't got nothing to cure. That's just how you were made. You better rock it. That's who you are. And you go home and you suffer. Or you go with a seasonal flu and they look you up and down and they say something along the lines of, you are 
dirty. You are a sickness. Maybe if you stopped being a flu, it'd go away. And these are the things we say. These are ways we view people in their sin. How grateful I am that we have good doctors who know where a human ends and their sickness begins. Because this is what Jesus is saying. He's saying he sees the person. He knows how he made humans to be. He knows what a human being is meant to look like. And he knows what corruption looks like and brokenness looks like. He knows where the human ends and all the brokenness begins. And he doesn't get confused. He doesn't get those lines mixed up. He knows how he made us and he's calling us home to health. And this isn't just good news for tax collectors and sinners. This is good news for all of us, Pharisees included. Why? Because the Bible teaches that every single one of us have fallen short of the glory of God. We've all sinned, right? It says that there is no one good, not even one. So any of us who think we are, the reality is there are no healthy people. There's just people who don't yet realize their need for a doctor, right? They're sick. They need to sit with Jesus, And you see, at dinner with Jesus, it's not just being accepted as we are, and that's that. But by sitting with him, it's finding the remedy to our brokenness. It's being treated, healed, cured, made whole, restored, redeemed. Each of us made new by being present in the presence of the healer of our beings. This is the hope we have. What a blessing that we're invited to take a seat at the table of a healer. And he ain't no come navigate some crazy, complicated hospital to find me kind of Jesus, right? No, no, he'll come to you. He'll knock on your door. We we return in Revelation 3.20, it says this, here I am. I stand at the door and knock. If anyone hears my voice and opens the door, I will come in and eat with that person and they with me. Friends, the promise of the gospel, the power of a dinner with Jesus is that he, Jesus, is present. He is good. He is making it better. And once we sit down at that table, we don't regret it. The promise of the gospel is that somehow in the midst of our suffering and our pain, he is present weeping with us. And in the joys, he's there laughing with us. And in it all, he is close. And somehow through it all, friends, that is enough. The promise of the gospel is not God saying, hey, I am a genie in the bottle who will solve all of your woes and your promises if you just get it right before me. The promise of the gospel is so, so beautiful. It's this, that Jesus is enough and he's here and he loves you. And I don't always get it, but two millennia of Christians before have found it confusing. And yet there's testimony after testimony after testimony after testimony that keeps our faith going from generation to generation to generation to generation. Testimony that somehow, though it doesn't make sense, Jesus' presence is enough. It's enough. In every season, through it all. And if you struggle to believe it, my friend, I'd invite you to join a small group. I'd invite you to go and join these prayer meetings. I'd invite you to surround yourself with other Christians because the number of testimonies I've heard and I've experienced myself in the presence of Jesus and somehow, though I'm still suffering, I'm okay, it's mind-boggling. So what does it look like today to sit at the table with Jesus? You know, I I just wanna put it out out of your brains. You know, he's not saying make a dinner, find a spare place at your table, sit it there and he'll come join. The food will be cold in the morning. That's not what he's saying when I, well, not what I'm saying when I'm saying make a place for him at the table. In fact, all the way through the New Testament, we see Jesus using food as a description of what it is for us to partake with Him and in Him. 
He calls himself the living water, which when we drink, we will never thirst again. He calls himself the bread of life. And this is who Jesus is. He uses food to illustrate what it is to sit and partake in his goodness. And so what does it look like? Remember at the beginning, I said eating together means something. Not because of the food, but because of what it signifies. It signifies that you're accepted, that you have things in common, that there's reasons to celebrate, and that you have friendship. And as we talk about the table over the next few weeks, I don't want you to get caught up thinking about it in the paradigm of food. Because it ain't about food. It's about an image. Here's what it looks like today for us to sit at the table with Jesus. First, we remember we're invited. Not like a plus one kind of invite, friends. Don't get it mixed up. You're wanted. You're invited. He sees you. He wants you there. And second, we make room in our lives to take hold of the chair he saved for us, to sit in it, to be present with a savior who delights in saving us, even as we're sinful and failing all the time around him. We remember we're invited and we make space to come and sit and enjoy his presence to partake in him. So would you make space at the table of your life for Jesus this week? Would you believe that there's something profound and powerful happening as you make space for him to come and sit with you? And it may not always feel Hollywood, but boy, there's a promise of healing happening. Would you pray with me? God, I thank you that you are good and you are loving. That Jesus, you, you did not come to call the righteous, the people who can come before you and prove their right to be there. But Lord, you came for the sinner. You came for us as we are, where we are in this moment right now. And what you promised my Savior is that there is a space at the table that you have saved for each of us. And, and that in the midst of our suffering and our pain, you prove not by welcoming us to a table, not by, not by you know, hanging out and being called a friend, but by the laying down of your life, the shedding of your blood, that you would carve a way home for every single one of us. That God, not a single one of us can look to the cross and see anything less than the love of God, our Father, exemplified. Your name, Jesus, is honey on our lips. And we thank you that you are welcoming us home. And today in this room, there may be people who have never come to the table before or people who came to the table once, but they left, but they struggled to stay. They struggled to enjoy the feast. And so they never partook of what Jesus comes to bring. And with all eyes closed and with all heads bowed, I want to offer a moment with nothing significant, significant, nothing spiritually amazing, but just letting God, the Holy Spirit, do what He does. And if that's you in this room, I want to give you a moment to respond just by raising your hands in the air as a declaration to God that you're willing to start coming to the table with Him. Go ahead and do that now, if that is you. Come on. Come on. Come on. To be celebrated. Let's pray together. Lord, I thank you for your love. I thank you for your kindness. I thank you that your Holy Spirit right now is stirring in the souls of sons and daughters that you adore, you cherish, and you love. And you're drawing them home to the safe place, the friend, the warmth, the acceptance. Spirit of God, I thank you for the miracle. 
We come before you as sinners who know that you have a better way. We turn from our sin and we trust you, our healer. And we say, Lord, come heal us. We'll do the spending time with you. You just come heal our hearts. We love you, Jesus. And I praise you right now and I pray for the Christians in the room. Those who are hovering over the table but struggling to delight in the feast. Lord, I pray right now, would that be broken? If there's something holding people in bondage back from the table, Jesus, I pray by the power of your spirit, come break it. Come break it. Come break it. You love this person. Love this person. Jesus, I thank you that you are sufficient and you are enough through it all. Be glorified in our hearts and in our worship. In your perfect name we pray, Jesus. Amen. Amen. Friends, I'm going to invite you to do two things. First, I'm going to invite you to stand because we're going to respond in worship. And the second thing is if you're in this room and you're someone who perhaps in your heart has experienced the contest, the struggle, the wrestle, the coming delight in the gospel, delight in Jesus, even though you're a Christian, there's going to be a prayer team up the front. And I'm just going to invite you to come. Seek prayer. Because I believe that the Lord doesn't want you to leave this place still bound the way you came in. How about we worship together? Thanks again for listening to the New Life Podcast. If that stirred something within you or you would like prayer, you can head to church.nu forward slash prayer or contact us through our Instagram or Facebook page. We pray you have a great week. Be blessed.